Today's Bible reading is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 18. Uh, but to set the scene, I'm going to read, first of all, Exodus chapter 34, verses 27 to 35. And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he is there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin on his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him. And Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 18. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you know that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case... What once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, 
To this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is lifted. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As technology changes, something that that once used to be pretty jolly good becomes almost worthless. Uh, You might be able to think of things like video cassettes, or maybe even audio cassettes, or floppy disks. Things that were once cutting-edge stuff are just now redundant. Now, um, when, when I bought my first car, it was a second-hand WB Holden Ute. And when I bought it, I then put a bull bar on it, and CB and UHF. I'm starting to sound like a country loud, aren't I? And then um, got myself a set of driving lights. And the best set of driving lights that I could fit into the bull bar of that car at the time was a set of Heller 180s. Now, compared to the standard headlights on that ute, those, those driving lights were absolutely amazing and um, anybody who ever came for a drive with me at night it was like wow are those lights even legal just amazing difference and I think really the biggest thing was I, I had pencil beams whereas everybody else had spreads but these days so back then they were really amazing lights but these days they just wouldn't cut it In fact, that old ute with that set of driving lights on it, I don't think it would illuminate things as well as our current car does without the driving lights even turned on. Then the next car I got, I got a set of Rally 2000s on it. Same technology, but bigger, better reflector, brighter, and that was so much better. Our current car, we got Rally 4000s on it. And, eh, but then we put in some HID bulbs and wow, does that light things up. But once again, there's a new stage in technology and everybody these days are going for LED driving lights. But still, if you look at the figures and everything, for lighting up the road a long way away, you still can't go past those HID, XGD lights. But you know what? I used to be content with that old set of Hella 180s. I thought they were the bee's knees. It was like, wow, because it was just so much better than the standard lights. Um, You know, with their quartz halogen bulb and a quality reflector, they were the best option at the time. But these days, lights are just so much better than that. And I reckon that's probably the best way for me to describe for you and to illustrate the difference between the glory of the old covenant and the glory of the new covenant. Those lights used to be amazingly bright. But compared to what's available now, they're useless. They just don't cut it anymore. And the old covenant was glorious. And it was the best thing available to to enable fellowship between humanity and God. But now it's become redundant. It's lost its glory. It was glorious, but not anymore. It's now been superseded, you see, by the ultimate experience of glory, salvation in Jesus Christ. Right, so uh, it wasn't good to have the kids up here before and, and show us what they've been learning about in Sunday school.
And, and they've been sharing with us there all of the lessons that they've been learning from the Old Testament this year. And it's really important for us to have a grasp of the Old Testament. You know, it's not only kids that, that are to read the Old Testament. We're supposed to be reading the Old Testament as well. Because in it, it's not only stories to keep kids entertained. And it's not only the story of God relentlessly pursuing his people and, and continually bringing them to himself. It's also the early stages of God's plan to save us through Christ. Now, to the Jews, the receiving of the law was as good as it got, right? That was what set them apart from all of the nations of the world. That the age-old worldwide spiritual problem has always been, how can a sinful human fellowship with a holy God? And the law answered that dilemma, or at least it began answering that dilemma. It was the first step towards answering, answering it. You know how when you go to the doctor, the first stage of being cured is to get a diagnosis, right? They can't start treating you until they know exactly what's wrong with you. Well, the law was the diagnosis. The law diagnosed the problem. It revealed to us God's standard. The law defined what God requires for us to be in relationship with him. And so the law was about how to get holy, how to stay holy, and how to be holy, so that when we come into the presence of our holy God, we actually survive. Even Moses, when he wanted to see God in person... Um, he couldn't see God face to face. God said to him, Moses, if, if you see my face, you'll die. But I will let you catch a little glimpse of me from behind. And so he hid him in a cleft of rock. And, he, and as God walked past in all of his glory, he shielded Moses until he was past. And then he let Moses see him from the back. And when Moses came down from the mountain, with those two tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments written on them, it was glorious. The law was glorious. And the evidence of the glory of God, you could see it written all over Moses' face because Moses had personally spent time in conversation with God. His face had absorbed the glory of God and it was shining and it was so amazing. It was so glorious, the Israelites couldn't even bear to look at him. And so that's why Moses put a veil over his face. Now, I always thought that Moses put the veil over his face just so that it wouldn't freak the Israelites out. But in today's Bible reading, Paul gives us another reason for the veil. It was so that they wouldn't see the glory fading. You see... Moses' face was sort of a bit like a, a luminous watch. Um, I was thinking about things that glow in the dark and um, luminous things. And I remember from my childhood, one, one, for Christmas one year, I got given some glow putty. Now, um, this was a couple of years after silly putty was the, the latest thing. Um, does anyone remember silly putty? A few nods of the head. Do they still make silly putty? Does anyone know? Don't know. 
might be another one of those things that the glory has faded. Um, but so silly putty, it's like plasticine. It's amazing stuff. You can mould it with your hand. It's like plasticine. But you make it into a ball and then it bounces. And I haven't actually tried this, but I've been told that, that if you break a piece off and put it on a hard surface and hit it with a hammer, that it also shatters. Now, I haven't tried that because I didn't want to destroy my glow putty. But glow putty is silly putty that glowed in the dark. And I remember when we'd get sent to bed at night time, we'd turn the lights off, and me and my brother get the torch, we'd roll up this glow putty and we'd shine the light on this glow putty and, and light her all up. If Dad knew we were doing it, he'd get cranky at us for wasting batteries. But then the thing would glow in the dark and we could bounce it around the room. And we thought Mum and Dad knew no differently. These days I know they can hear what's going on. But, but we'd bounce it around and it'd glow in the dark for a couple of minutes. But it would gradually fade until it wasn't glowing anymore. And that's what it was like for Moses. Moses was reflecting the glory of God. After he'd gone in to visit God, his face was bright and shining like that silly putty that we'd lit up with a torch. But over time, his face began to fade. And Paul is telling us that, that Moses' face was covered so that the Israelites wouldn't see the fading glory of God. And Paul draws this out in a largely symbolic way because it doesn't really matter so much that Moses' face wasn't lit up and that it was fading in glory. What was hidden was that the law itself would fade in glory. And in fact, the law would fade into redundancy. The old covenant would fade because the whole purpose of the old covenant was always to make way for the new covenant in Jesus Christ. Until the coming of Jesus, Israel had to live by the old covenant. But when Jesus came and died and rose again, Jesus fulfilled the old covenant. He fulfilled the requirements of the law. And in today's reading, Paul is highlighting just how the new covenant is so much better. It is so much superior to the old covenant. The old covenant was a matter of words. It was words that had been chiseled into stone tablets. And then later on, it was written with ink onto paper. If, was, if this was we modernised it now, you'd probably talk about it being a series of ones and zeros in cyberspace so that we can all read our Bibles on our phones. But it's, it remains a matter of words. It was God's written law. It was a rule book. It was very important. It outlines for us God's holy standard. It, it lets us know what is right and what is wrong. It lets us know what is true and what is just. And it also reveals the sort of injustices and the sort of sin that God hates. But why did we need a rule book? Well, up until the giving of the law, all they had to go on was their own conscience. They had to decide for themselves, well, this feels right or this feels wrong. 
And you know as well as I do that, that one person's conscience will be very different to another person's conscience. The state of the heart, we, we, our heart believes what it wants to believe. In Jeremiah, it outlines this problem. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Right now, we all have our own standards. Even people in the world have their own standards. They feel that they know what's right. They feel that they, what they, that they know what is wrong. And they think that they know in their hearts. They have their own moral compass in their hearts. And they think that, that their moral compass is pretty good. But in Jeremiah, we realise, but, but the heart is deceitful. We might think that that we know, we might think we've got a good compass there, but the heart is tricking us. And if we live in a society where every person just did what they thought was right, what would that be like? And there's a word for that, anarchy. It'd be a, it'd be a big mess. And so God's law set the benchmark. It set the standard. But there's a problem with this. At least there's a problem for me. The law condemns me. The law reveals to me that I haven't met God's holy standard. Even in all of my best strivings to live righteously, the life of Michael Brumpton scores an epic fail. The law reveals how utterly sinful and broken I am. And as Paul says in Romans, the wages of sin is death. So by the law, by the rule book, because of my wrongdoing, because of my evil behaviour, I deserve the death penalty. And Paul brings that out here where he refers to the law as the letter that kills. And he refers to it as the ministry of condemnation. That's what it does. The law condemns. We cannot read the law of what God requires without feeling somewhat condemned. The written law reveals the dire human predicament that we all deserve to die. But he contrasts this with the new covenant. The new covenant isn't words written with ink. The new covenant isn't a rule book. The new covenant is that in Christ, God actually writes his law onto our hearts. Our hearts, those things that, that were so deceitful and were so desperately sick, God does an amazing transformational work in our hearts. And Paul calls this the ministry of righteousness. Right? So we've got the comparison of the, the law of condemnation, the words written on stone, compared to the, the, the ministry of righteousness, the law written onto our hearts. He says in verse 9, For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, 
the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Now, what's this transformation about? We know that at the cross, a great exchange took place. Jesus died to pay the penalty of death that we deserve. And Jesus took our sins upon himself. That's what the cross was about. Through Christ, we are made righteous with God. That condemnation is taken away. To be free from sin, though, isn't just about having, having the consequences of sin cancelled. There's something more that happens here. To be free from sin takes a transformation. In Christ, when we give our hearts to Jesus, God takes our sins away. But he doesn't want to leave us as people who just keep on going on sinning. This is when God begins his glorious work of changing us. He does his glorious work of transforming our lives and transforming our character. Now, in the Greek, I just love the word that, that gets translated as transforming or transformation or transformed. It's metamorphosis, right? And we know what metamorphosis is, don't we? It's when a grub goes into a cocoon and then it gets transformed, it gets metamorphosed into a butterfly. That is a radical change. And that's the word that's there getting used in the Greek. And that is the sort of transformation that God does in us. But he only does it if we're willing. And many people claim that they've given their heart to Jesus, but they've done no such thing. You see, the evidence of a heart submitted to Jesus is this inner transformation that God is doing inside of us, such that our character is changing, such that the very person that we are is being transformed to become more Christ-like. Right? So the written law brings death, but in Christ we have life. And this life is made possible because of this transformation that God is doing in us by his Holy Spirit. And yet this was the whole point of the law. The law helps us to realise that we can't meet God's standards. We need a saviour. If, if we read the law and don't come to the point of calling out, God, help me, I need a saviour, then we haven't got the law. The whole purpose of the law is to reveal that I need a saviour so that when I read the law, I come to the point that I go, God, help me, I need a saviour. And this is the message of the gospel. Jesus is that saviour. But a hard heart doesn't get this. And that's why 
God's chosen people, Israel, have largely rejected Jesus. Right throughout the Old Testament, it's pointing towards Christ. But for many, as they read the Old Testament, it remains veiled. It remains hidden. But Paul says, verse 14, But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. You know, even people of the world, if they want to criticise the Christian faith, usually they do it by going to the Old Testament. They'll go to the Old Testament, they'll pull out a few rules and a few regulations, and they'll take them right out of context and go, there you go, there's evidence that, that these Christians are a terrible bunch of people. But you see, the, the glory of the gospel of Christ is hidden from them. They just don't get it. Even the Old Testament is a beautiful thing. The, the law is a thing of beauty. beauty. It is wonderful. Because when the veil is taken away, because we believe in Christ, we actually start to get it. And we can actually even find Christ revealed in the law. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The old covenant, it was always meant to be temporary. And its purpose was always to lead us to Christ. The old covenant was glorious. That, uh, that glory was demonstrated with the shining face of Moses. But compared to the life in Christ, that little bit of glory is nothing. And Paul says, if what was temporary was glorious, how much more glorious is that which is permanent? If the written law was glorious, how much more will the spiritual law be glorious, which is written on our hearts? And the contrast here is just amazing. Verse 17, he says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom's a good thing, hey? We love freedom. Now, but it's not freedom to sin. Freedom doesn't mean that we can just go on and do whatever we like. And it's not freedom to amend the written law. God's law doesn't change. Spiritual freedom is when God transforms us to the extent that keeping God's law isn't a burden at all. In fact, keeping God's law is something that we want to do. You think of it in terms of, imagine somebody might be in prison because they've broken the law, right? And they long for freedom. And for them, freedom would just be, can I escape from prison? Or can I just not get caught for doing what I did wrong? And yet there's a whole crowd of people who are free. Why are they free? It's because they didn't break the law. Why didn't they break the law? Because they actually think the law is a good thing. 
And the glory here, when we're talking glory, it's, it, it's the opposite to how it was in Moses. Remember, Moses was like that glow putty, gets charged up a bit, and he comes out all glorious, and then the glory fades. Whereas in Christ, because the Holy Spirit is living inside of us, the glory of God shouldn't be fading. Well, it's not fading. It's growing. The glory of God in you is building and growing and getting brighter and brighter and more glorious inside of us. Verse 18 says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. We're getting brighter and brighter and more glorious and more glorious. What does that mean? I'm looking at you lot and I don't even need to put my sunnies on. It doesn't look at all like you're all luminescent. You see, what's our image of glory? Bright, shiny things? God's concern isn't for us to be glistening white, shiny things, like a reflective sign on the side of the road. If that was God's concern, he would be very pleased with my feet when I go to the beach. If I don't need sunglasses on before I take my socks off, I certainly need them on after. What does it mean for us to be transformed from one degree of glory to another? What is this ever-increasing glory really about? Well, our glorious transformation in this life, it's not about an increase in luminescence. A glorious transformation is a transformed life, a transformed character, the actual transformation of the very personhood of who we are. It's to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to ooze and to radiate the righteousness of God. That is the ever-increasing glory that God is working inside of us. To be transformed into the glory of God is about the undoing of sin. It's about freedom from sin. The power of sin was broken by Jesus on the cross. When we repent of our sin and wrongdoing and yield ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. That's the first stage of being glorified. But we're being transformed from glory to glory. We just keep getting glorified more and more. The problem is too many people are merely content with reaching the first stage. You know, this easy believism gospel says, you know, you've said the sinner's prayer, she's all good, job's done. It's nothing of the sort. God's concern is for us to be being transformed from glory to glory to glory. We're being transformed into the very image of Christ. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. 
every day as we walk as disciples of Jesus, keeping our eyes fixed on God and his glory, God is continuing to glorify us. He, he transforms us. It's this metamorphosis. He takes us from being a grub and changes us into a butterfly. Such a complete transformation. And my prayer is that God would continue to increase his glory in your life. And my prayer is that he would continue to increase his glory in my life. And as we get more and more glorified, more and more people, when they see us, when they see the way that we behave, when, when they see the moral compass that we have and the way that we love one another, that they would actually see the very righteousness of Christ. That's the transformation that God wants to work in us. And that's my prayer for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your law. Lord, your word tells us that the law is beautiful, the law is wonderful, the law is wisdom, and it is. But Lord, your law also reveals to us that We are utterly sinful and in need of a saviour. Praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I want to thank you for the glory of the new covenant, for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Lord, we want to thank you that Jesus died on the cross to take our sins away. But Lord, we also want to thank you that you don't want to just leave us as saved grubs. We want to thank you that you want to transform us into a thing of beauty. We want to thank you, Lord, that you are developing in us the very mind of Christ. And Lord, give us hearts surrendered to you for this very purpose. Lord, we pray that you would ever increase your glory in us. In Jesus' name, amen.